0: Pray with me, and we're going to look at the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. Our Father, we thank you as we bow before you this morning that you have loved us and that you've given your Son that we could be forgiven and cleansed and redeemed and adopted into your family. And Father, we come before you this morning, and we desire to grow, and to uh, Lord, uh, in our love for you and to honor you. And Lord, so please help us, might your Holy Spirit give us understanding, and might your Holy Spirit uh, cause our spirit to be, in, uh, Lord, worshipful toward you, and to give you glory, and that we might find a fullness in our own lives that come from uh, our interaction with you, and so please help us this morning, in Christ's name, amen. So, the last chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I'm going to give you a little introduction. Paul is going to mention five Roman providences in this chapter, and it shows uh, the spread of the gospel in about 30 years. And So, this is probably somewhere 25 to 30 years after uh, Christ died, and uh, maybe not quite that long, maybe 20 to 30 But he's going to mention Galatia, Judea, Macedonia, Akedah, Asia. And all these places reflect different cultures. There's European and Eastern. There's Jew and Arab. There's Greek and Roman, urban, rule. And uh, so how did it happen? How did it spread so quickly? And I have used this verse a lot of times. It's Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And the law would be Judaism. That's what it's speaking about in Galatians chapter 4. But the key to that, I think, is in the fullness of time. Um, We believe in the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God means that God rules everything. God rules uh, our world. He rules creation. He he rules our lives. He, He rules the happenstance of everything. And God's not reactionary. He didn't. Uh, he, he didn't. This is not a reaction. Christ's coming is not a reaction to what Satan caused Adam and Eve to do in the garden, and they and and then they fell into sin. And because of their sin, we're sinners, and we have a sin nature, and consequently, we sin and are under judgment of God. See, sometimes we have that idea that there's the forces of good and evil, and they're battling each other. No, no, God is in control of the evil. He, uh, he doesn't create the evil, but He's in control of the evil. He uses it for purposes. And His plan all along was to send His Son that He might die in our place, that we might be uh, adopted into His family. That, that we might... I don't know how to say it exactly where, where it's biblical, but it, it sounds uh, e- easier to say. But that, that we might experience deity... Not for ourselves, but we might experience God uh, because we've been redeemed by God uh, and about through Christ's blood, that we'd have the capacity to uh, experience a relationship with God that would not have been possible without redemption. See, that's God's plan, and so He planned the timing of Christ's coming. Uh, here's how I see it: uh, the the Jews came out of Egypt. Uh, and, and he sent them there as a family, and about 70 or so or of them, and uh, they came out a nation. And when they were in Egypt, they weren't like in an incubator. I don't know if some of you used to raise little chicks, you get through the mail, and you'd put them in the bathtub with a light bulb. And we always enjoyed that because you didn't have to take a bath as long as those chicks were in there. And so, and then you put them out in the yard, you know, once they got big enough. But that's an incubator. And so they put them in an incubator and uh, they wouldn't intermarry. The Egyptians hated them. So they come out as a nation and and they go into the land. And But in the land, they become idolatrous. And God used the Babylonians, the Assyrians first, for the northern kingdom, then the Babylonians for the southern kingdom, for Judah, and, and scattered them uh, throughout that known area. Uh, and so... As they went out, as they were scattered, taken into captivity, that's how the Bible explains it, they developed the synagogue system. See, up until that time, they went to the central temple to worship. And the northern kingdom went to Bethel to worship there, which it wasn't supposed to, but that's what they did. But now, they have, now they're scattered, and they have a synagogue system. A synagogue would be where ten adult male Jews were gathered at least ten, and they could start their own synagogue. They would read Old Testament scriptures, whatever they had, pray, and seek the Lord's will, seek His face, and um, and so that they stayed together and kept their Jewishness by doing that. And we know that uh, when the when the Babylonians sent them out, that was the beginning of of captivity and the beginning of their scattering from from the actual nation. And then the second thing that happened is that Greece comes on. You remember from Daniel, chapter, uh, Daniel Daniel's prophecy, chapter 7, chapter 9, uh, then Greece is going to be the next nation that conquers the known world. And through Greece, the, the Greek language became the language of trade. Uh, it was the language of scholarship, but it became the language of trade. I've had the privilege of going on a couple of mission trips and then going into Europe. And you find that English is that today. There are people who are in trade. I mean, if they've got those little shops and they want to sell you something, they know enough about the dollar to get to get you to what the information that you need. And same same as in uh, South America, when I've gone there for mission trips, is that they speak English as the train. Then it was Greek, and so. 300 A.D., the Hebrew Old Testament is translated into Greek down in Alexandria, Egypt. And uh, that became uh, available to the scholarship around people. And then when Christ comes, when Jesus comes, He, he quoted that translation. Uh, Jesus could have spoken in any language He wanted to, but He quoted that translation. That was the translation that people used at that point in time. And he, he quoted um, that translation, maybe he quoted it in Arabic sometimes, but he quoted that translation. And then the Roman Empire comes along, and uh, the Roman Empire had the Pax Romania, which means there's, there's world peace. You could travel between countries, um, and they built roads, cobblestone roads. They had a postal system. And so then on the day of Pentecost, after Christ was resurrected, 40 days after the Holy Spirit's going to come. All of these Jews from these surrounding nations, uh, I think there's 17 of them listed in Acts chapter 2, they're at Jerusalem for Passover, and Peter stands up to preach, and the Holy Spirit comes, and, uh, and 3,000 of them are saved that first day, and thousands more probably the next few days. And then they go back. Many of them, they go back. Some of them may be God-fearers, which means they they were Gentiles, but they believed in the one true God. And some of them were Jewish. And they go back, and they go back to their synagogues, and they spread this word that there is a man called Jesus of Nazareth that has been resurrected from the dead. He is the Son of God. And He is the Savior. He's the Messiah that we've been looking for. And so this word goes out to the world, and now Paul comes on the scene along with uh, the, some of the other disciples. Peter first down to Caesarea uh, to the to the Gentiles, and now Paul is going to this known world up into Asia, and uh, he is establishing churches. But he's doing it. Remember, he'd go in the synagogues first. Nearly every place he went, he'd go in the synagogue, preach there. There'd be some Jews who would believe, maybe that because they'd already heard. Uh, and then he would go to the Gentiles. And so churches are being established in all these areas that he's going to, to mention. It is the plan of God. It's a wonderful plan, and uh, it is a plan that uh, God has been using it continually since God works in our world today through the local church, through churches just like ours. And so we see his concern Uh, for the church down at Jerusalem now. Uh, Back in Acts chapter 11, Agabus had prophesied a famine to come on the land, and most of the commentators say, the historians say, that uh, the area of of, uh, Israel around Jerusalem wasn't very prosperous, and they had gone through a lot of persecution, and they needed help. And so we read this beginning in chapter 16, verse 1. Paul said, now, after I've dealt with all the problems you're having in the church, all the things we've studied so far, he said, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as they may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem." But it, if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So he speaks about a collection for the saints at Jerusalem. Um, and he, uh, one of the commentators said that the actual Hebrew, I mean, the actual Greek wording here, is that this is an additional collection. The, and the word for collection is additional. So whatever they're giving to their church, he said this is above. And he established some perimeter. He wants it to be a free will offering. He wants it to be given regularly, systematically, and not something out of compulsion when he comes. But he's saying to them, you have an obligation. You have an obligation to the mother church. Jerusalem was the mother church. And uh, all through this chapter, I'm going to end with these words. So uh, in case I forget them, I'm going to start with them. We're not an island unto ourselves. We're, we, we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. Those who went before us uh, in history, uh, you could read Hebrews chapter, what is, 11. And then we go before those who, uh, we stand on the shoulders of those who went before us in this very church. Uh, and maybe in your family, if you were raised in a Christian family, we, we stand on their on their shoulders, we are obligated to them. We owe them a debt uh, we we didn't get here by ourselves. Uh, and so I hope you realize that Paul's going to emphasize that a little more toward the toward the end of this chapter. I just want you to be thinking about it i i didn't get here by myself uh, i didn't serve by myself. I put in this lesson when Paul begins to name people i 'm giving you the good part at the beginning when Paul begins to name people. Um, I put in this lesson that when I pastored, I realized it wasn't the staff that operates this church. It's the people. It's the volunteers. It is those people who, like you, who, who give of themselves, who give of their money, but give of their time, give of their prayers, give of their efforts. And every church is like that. If it functions properly as a church, every every church is like that. We are interdependent in in this church. And so he established it. Give regularly when you meet together on Sunday. It's another, you know, Sunday is when they met together. Uh, he also said there needs to be some accountability. He didn't say, I'll take the offering, but you approve someone who will take it, and they can go with me if I go. They can go with, with me. And I think that's a good plan. And then he talks about his ministry plans which I think is very interesting. Read with me in verse 5. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. That's interesting, isn't it? Wherever I go. Uh, Paul had been on these journeys, and God had changed his direction uh, a time or two, and so he's saying, Wherever I go. Sometimes the jailer changed his direction and his plans. Verse 7, For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you. And then get this, if the Lord permits, if the Lord permits, um, we read in the book of James that we're to say, you know, I'll go do this or that uh, if it's God's will. And that's how we ought to pray. We ought to say, Lord, I have this plan. For my life, I have this plan, whether I'm going to go on vacation or whether I'm going to retire or Lord, whether I'm going to live to be a hundred. I have this plan, but it's according to your will. You may have other plans and that way you'll be less disappointed when he changes your plans and you may realize then you're what you're doing when you say this, when you just say that phrase, you're saying, God, I belong to you. I have this plan but you're my master. I have this plan, but you're in charge. And you're free to change it. And so I, I think it's good to make a plan. I think we should have a plan. And if you're a teacher going to go back to school tomorrow, you have a teaching plan, uh, hopefully. I wish my teachers had one. And, you, and you're, you're going to go and, and you know, and so we, we should make plans, but we should say, Lord, if it's your will, you know, if it pleases you, then I'm going to go and do this or that. And and, and, and if, if that doesn't please you, let me know. And he will. And he can. I just want to know ahead of time. Don't you? I've made some plans and gone through with them. And I think I didn't listen to the Lord when he said, that's kind of a shaky deal. Don't do that. And I was sorry. Uh, I'm not speaking about cryptocurrency at this point. But I, I could... I could be, <laughs> so that's just a joke. If you lost your shirt, I'm sorry. And, uh, so, <laughs> oh, that's not in these notes anywhere. So, <clears throat> here's what Paul says. Then he goes on in uh, verse eight. But I will carry an Ephesus into Pentecost, for a great and effectual door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Very interesting. There are many. It's a great and effectual door, but there are many adversaries. Go all the way back in Paul's life till till he had the salvation experience on the uh, on the road to Emmaus You, you remember what happened? On the road to Antioch, wherever he was going. Road to Antioch, where he's going. It's the disciples going to Emmaus but you remember his experience and what the Lord said to to um, whoever he sat down to baptize him. He said. I'm going to show him what things he must suffer for my name's sake. Boy, I don't like that calling at all. I, you know, I, how, many, how many people would say, okay, I'm going to follow the Lord if he says to me, come follow me, I'm going to show you how many things you must suffer for my sake. That's not what we want to sign up for. We want to say, I want to share in your glory. I want to share in your power. I want to, I want to share... And the riches that you have created, I want to share in eternity. But I don't want to get there through suffering. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to do that. And Paul fulfilled that calling. He suffered. He, he suffered mildly. I would think, you know, if we were doing it, if we, if we outlined the plan, uh, I, I read Louis L'Amour and Westerns. I probably read them all two or three times. It's like comfort food. You know, if you like comfort food, well, I like comfort books sometimes. I just like to read them and you feel good and the good guy wins and you think, hooray. You know, he kills a few people, but they're all bad guys he kills. And you you just, you think, hooray. This is, it makes me feel good. And we've been writing the plan. That's what we would have done. We would have said that the moment you come to Christ, your troubles are over. The moment you come to Christ, it's a smooth ride from there on. I mean, because God's on your side. And if God's our co-pilot, we can't go bad, we we can't go wrong, you know. And so, but that's not what the Lord called us for. We we reflect His grace when we're suffering. You understand that? I mean, and He's called us to that. The New Testament tells us that you, you if you if you Christ said if you walk with me, you're going to suffer persecution. I'm. Because the servant's not greater than the master, and if the master. If Christ himself has suffered persecution, and we're little Christ, we're Christians, in his image, we're going to suffer as well. And the reason why is because the world hates Christianity. It hates Christ, and it hates it simply because it brings a conviction of, of sin. And, and, and unless a person's willing to re, excuse me, unless a person's willing to repent. They don't want a conviction of sin. They don't want to be reminded of their sinfulness. Every person has a conscience, according to Romans chapter 1, that tells them they are a sinner. And they don't like to be reminded of that. They can smooth over their conscience. They can fill their life with sound and fury sometimes. And people do that. I mean, uh, very few of us ever shut off all the noise and just think. Would you agree with that? We just don't do it, you know. Our kids study with music going, and you know, and most uh, adults do the same thing. There's there's music, there's television in the car at home. There's always sound going on. You know why? Because it's too difficult to think. Because when you think, you begin to think. You know, maybe I ought to change that. <laughs> maybe i ought not go that way. Maybe I ought to behave. Maybe I owe my wife an apology. You know, maybe. You know, when you stop and you shut out all that noise, you hear from God. And God's always saying, straighten up, walk this way, don't do that, listen to me. Be like Christ. And sometimes I don't want to hear that. Do you? Sometimes I just want to enjoy being mad. And, you know, (laughs) but it's very, it's very. It's very difficult if you if you shut off all the noise in your life. very difficult to enjoy that. Paul's having a ministry impact here, but he said there's adversaries. I want to think about the adversaries for just a moment there There are three things that paul uh, that we know uh, from the book of Acts that Paul faced here um, there was the occult practices that he faced in, not just here but everywhere he went. The occult practices, uh, uh, the, uh, the occult practices comes out of paganism, comes out of idolatry, and then you remember there was the guild of silversmiths that they they called him into question about ruining. There, see if you were a pagan and you went to the temple of Aphrodite or whatever temple, you would come away with a souvenir. I've heard that if you go to Elvis's home place, uh, Graceland, you come away with a souvenir. I'm not going to ask you how many you have one of those things. I remember my sister-in-law showed us a little vial of dirt, you know, from his grave. And I thought, you know, I wonder how many grave dirt he has from his grave. (laughs) That's crazy, isn't it? But, anyway, the guile of several. So you'd come away with these little idols, and that was their living. And now, if you're a Christian, you're not buying those little idols, and so... They're upset at Paul, and so they they want to they drag him into the arena. And you remember, Paul? Then we read a couple of weeks ago. He said, "I fought with the wild beasts," and it, it, it's that's, I think that's the crowd. I don't think they had lions in that arena he was in, but it was the crowd who was going to tear him apart. It was the crowd back in Jerusalem when he when he when he goes there. Uh, when he goes into the temple to keep that vow, that they want to tear him apart. And I think that's what he's speaking about. And then the third thing is that there's the Jewish opposition. Uh, Here's his own people, and they refuse to accept Jesus as the Christ, and they, are at, they try to destroy Paul himself. Physically, they try to destroy him. So Paul is saying there are many adversaries. I, I, want, to, I want to apply that to our culture. Um, uh, just because we have uh, adversity or adversaries, either one or both, doesn't mean we're out of the will of God. I've already said to you, and I I think it's absolutely true, that when we walk with Christ, we're going to suffer. And that suffering comes uh, comes from people who don't agree with us, and it comes from circumstances Satan doesn't agree with us, the world itself doesn't agree with us, and so uh, it, it becomes a little difficult in, in this world. I, I read to you uh, G. Campbell Morgan a, a couple of weeks ago, and I put it in the notes. He said that our trials come from the ordinary people in life, uh, something to that order. It just comes from the people in our, our lives who, who are a problem. But it doesn't mean we're out of the will of God. When I'm having a problems in my life, I should check, first of all, am I in the will of God? Am I, do I have unconfessed sin? I mean, we're always sinning, but do I have unconfessed sin that I'm holding on to and I'm being judged for? Or the, the, the result of my sin is this problem and I won't let it go? Uh, or is this just the fact that I'm walking with Christ and it's causing... Problems, And uh, I'm willing to bear that. We should ask ourselves first if it's just us or is it our testimony before Christ. So adversity helps us prioritize what's important in life. Are you aware of that? I mean, when you're, when you're facing difficult decisions and you're under the gun, you have to decide... Am I going to behave Christianly? Am I going to keep my word? If I, if, am I going to pay that debt? Am I going to do... I, you have to prioritize. You have to say, okay, is this real? Am I going to actually live this way? If it costs me, I'm going to live this way. And so you have to face those decisions. Um, it makes you think about what's eternal important. and That's the gospel. And then the gospel illuminates the guilt of sin. I've already mentioned that. Uh, and so it's a lesson for us. If you live righteously, um, you're going to, even in your family, I'm not talking about your immediate family, your kids, but if you live righteously, there's going to be people in your family who think you should compromise, think you should give or bid or, or, or do something like, like they're doing. And you just need to be aware. And then generally, and we see this in the scripture. Generally, and I'm not speaking against it, but sometimes education causes people to be independent of God. You think, okay, I'm smarter than I believe in science. We've heard that a lot in the last few years. I believe in science. So if I believe in science, I don't believe in the supernatural, which God is supernatural. And uh, and so I'm not talking about supernatural ghosts, but I'm talking about God. And sometimes uh, education makes us more independent of the Lord than we should be. Sometimes it's false religion that tells us we need to work for our salvation, that we need to actually do something to be right with God. And sometimes um, prosperity keeps us from seeing our need. Sometimes when we have plenty to eat, we have a place to live, we, we have uh, safety, a measure of safety and security, we don't really see our need. Um, I'm amazed sometimes that I meet people who have grown into adulthood and maybe midlife and have never attended a funeral. Are uh, you aware of that? I mean, there, there, there are a lot of people who, who do that. A lot of our kids have never attended a funeral. And so, uh, you know, you, what happens is that you don't realize, okay, people die. And used to, they died throughout history, they died in your home. You know, grandma died in your home. Mama died in your home. And, and now they die in the hospital or hospice or a nursing home. And we don't see that. Our kids don't see that. And they die under the um, influence of morphine. And I'm, I'm for that, by the way. I, I hope they do that with me. And I don't, you know, I don't feel that pain. So I'm not, I'm not against that. I'm just saying. But we don't realize that they're, this, they're eternal things. We're eternal creatures. And sometimes prosperity... Keeps us from facing that. If I have an ache, I take, I take medication. Uh, if, I, if I have high blood pressure, I keep eating salt and take medication. If I have high cholesterol, I keep eating ice cream and take medication. <laughs> That's stupid when I say it out loud, isn't it? <clears throat> All those things are true with me, by the way. I take all those medications. So all those things are true. And I still have those bad habits as, as well. So uh, prosperity keeps us... See, not everybody can afford medication. Not everybody can even buy aspirin. They, it's not available to them. They don't have the money. Um, I, I don't know when you pray today, and I'm just wondering off... Not, I'm not talking politics, but when you think about inflation... Uh, I hope you think about more than filling up your car with gas. I hope you think about the poor people in our world who can't buy food. Uh, there, are, there are people in our city who are on fixed income, Social Security for the most part, or maybe, uh, what is it, um, and, and inflation hurts them. If that's all they have, uh, they're going to struggle to survive without help. Um, I, I don't know. I hope you think about that when you think about inflation. Um, most of us, I'm not saying every one of us, but most of us, it's just its more of an inconvenience. And we may think, okay, I may have to adjust my budget, but, but it, it's not going to really fundamentally change how I live. Well, there are people in our city whom it, do, it does change how they live. And it, it, it changes more than their budget. It changes everything for them, and I, I hope you think about that and, and care about that to, and respond to that to some degree. Um, and now, now Paul talks about the co-workers in the gospel, and I, I just love this. I love I, I love reading Romans chapter sixteen. I think it's the last chapter of Romans, and Paul lists all those people who's influenced his life. Paul realized that he wasn't by himself. He didn't do it. By so very quickly, he's going to talk about these people. Uh, verse 10, If Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. And why would Timothy have fear? He says in verse 11, Therefore let no one despise him. You remember when he writes to Timothy, he said, let no one despise your youth. So Timothy was a very young man. Timothy probably wasn't was, was a confident, anything like Paul, maybe would call that timid. And uh, Paul is saying to these people who have given him so much trouble, and we're going to continue to give Paul so much trouble, don't you despise him. Don't you let others despise him in your church when he comes. I take away from that that uh, Don and I were visiting in a a church last Sunday and, and went to the Bible class. And the guy who was going to teach I played golf with when I've gone down to visit Dwight Hamilton. And so I played golf with this teacher and he just says, He's a, he was the substitute that day, and he said to me before class, knowing, knowing who I, you know, what I did. He said, "Oh, I'm going to be so, I'm going to be so uh, ashamed of my lesson with you listening to me. I'm going to be." What, he didn't use the word ashamed. He said, "I'm going to be so nervous." And I told him, I said, "You know, the word of God is the word of God. It doesn't matter who's giving it, and I'm going to, I'm going to appreciate it and listen to you." And he just sang, and I'm saying we should never despise. I, we dealt with this a couple of weeks ago. We have people we like. We, we're pers- we have personalities and we respond to personalities. But we should be appreciative of everyone who ministers to us in, in, in any way. Uh, we, we should be grateful. He said, Don't let them despise. Don't you despise him. But send him on his journey, in the middle of verse 11 send him on his journey to, in peace that he may come to me, for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. Now now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. You remember at the beginning of this letter, there were some people who were saying, I am of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter. And so there were followers of Apollos. And here he's, Paul is saying, I wanted Apollos to come to you, probably with this letter. I strongly urged him. That's that's strong language. But he was quite unwilling. And Paul said, and that's okay. And you remember, you go back early in Paul's ministry, and he and Barnabas had a falling out over ministry, over the direction of ministry, over Mark, basically. I think this is growth on Paul's part. Paul realized, you know, if the Lord permits, if the Lord wills, and if if Apollo said it's not the Lord's will, then that's okay. I, I'm not. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I I don't. I don't guide that. I think it's good for us sometimes to, to to say that I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know what's best for you. Uh, I don't know all all the time. I I know the biblical principles we should live by, and I can give you those. But I don't. In the end, I don't know what's absolutely best for you and then he said um, however he will come when he has a convenient time so when he's led of the lord uh when he comes that will be good and then he gives in the middle of talking about these people <clears throat> he, he gives this admonition he said verse 13 watch stand fast in the faith be brave be strong if you're reading a king james um it, when it says be brave, it says it says in King James, "Quit you like men." I like that phrase, "Quit you like men." You know, I don't read the King James; I read the New King James. I'd I read the King James for years, and I like I like some of the phraseology of the King James. "Quit you like men," and he's he's basically saying, "Stand up and act like an adult." You know, I mean, take it, be brave, be strong, quit you like men, and and. You know, act like a act like a grown up. And then, um, verse fourteen: Let all that you do be done with love. So watch, watch what's happening. Watch for the Lord. Watch, watch your life. Watch what's happening in the church. Watch, uh, guard your your life. Stand fast in the faith. Be aware. I, I like that little phrase I quoted to you out of that. A book that Robert quoted read from us that Valley of Visions. You know, don't don't go to sleep with your head in Delilah's lap. Think about that when you're watching television. Don't don't go to sleep with your head in Delilah. I don't, I don't mean literally. Nobody in here named Delilah, I don't think. So. so I don't mean that literally. But you know what it means is that we drift into sin. We drift into carelessness. We we drift into um, not loving the Lord like we should, not following Him like we should. We drift into that. Not, none of us probably are going to knock over a 7 we Eleven. We're we're probably, hopefully, not going to murder our spouse. You know, hopefully, we're not going to you know make a, a one hundred and eighty degree decision to just commit sin. But we're all prone to drifting. We drift. We, we drift with our culture we, we we drift with what's happening and and we drift in our what we watch and i and I watch television and I watch uh probably more than I should. Uh, I read those silly books, you know, probably more than I should, and I get used to them killing people, you know, just because they're bad guys. So you understand we drift. And we need to, every now and then, take a evaluation of our life. Just say, okay, am I watching? Am I, am I thinking about the Lord? Am I looking for the Lord's coming? Am I, am I thinking, if I were to stand before the Lord, to, literally, how many times have we heard that from preachers? But it's going to happen one day. I'm going to stand before the Lord. I'm going to give an account for my life. It's going to be evaluated, not whether I'll go to heaven or not. I'm going to go to heaven because of the blood of Christ but I'm going to give an account for how I spent my life and be rewarded or judged accordingly. Uh, and some of it will burn. And when I stop to think about that, it, it causes me to want to live a little better than what I do. I, it, to be a little more dedicated than what I am if I ever stop to think about that. And now it goes back to people again, verse 15. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus that he was the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They've devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's strong language. They have, they have given their lives for the ministry of the church members. Now that's wonderful, isn't it? And there are people in our church who have done that. There, and I'm talking about the staff. I'm talking about people. That they've given their life for the ministry of the church. And what a wonderful thing. What a reward they will have in heaven. And this this is what Paul says then about this family who's doing this. Verse 16, uh, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Ministry is not a profession. Ministry is a life Attitude. Uh, you're a minister of Christ. And uh, it's not just that you're paid by the church, but you're, you're a minister of Christ. It's a life attitude. I have an obligation to you, the people of this church, and you have an obligation to the people of this church. And he, then he goes on and he says, submit yourselves to those people. Follow their leadership. They're, they're leaders. Follow their leadership. Be involved in what they're involved in. Um, and, and then he says in verse seventeen, "I am glad about the coming of of stephanus uh, Fortunus, Fortunus and Achaeus, for what they, for what was lacking on your part, they su- supplied for they refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. So evidently these men they may have brought the questions that Paul's been answering from the church, but they also may have brought an offering to Paul. And Paul said, I'm glad about their coming for what was lacking on that church's part. Now, why did, why was there something lacking on that church's part? Because Paul was the one who established that church. And, he, and Paul didn't get a salary from anyone. Paul lived by the grace of God's people. And uh, from time to time, he worked. He's going to mention... Uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and he worked with them with his hands to provide for his needs, but to, to the degree he had to work, the less ministry he could do. And so they're bringing an offering, and he's saying, "I am grateful." Verse eighteen: For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Uh, maybe they brought of their own. Maybe it wasn't from the church, but what they brought him themselves. Because he's saying, acknowledge such men. And then we get to verse 19. It said, says, And the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. He keeps mentioning all these people. Aquila and Priscilla, they were driven out of Rome. We read this in, in, in Paul's writing, they were driven out of Rome because they were believers. They served with him and he worked with them. They were tent makers he worked with them in Corinth, and now they're in Ephesus, but he's saying, they're greeting you, but in Ephesus, as in Corinth, they hosted a church in their home. There there wasn't church buildings, uh, there might have been very few, but there wasn't church buildings until about the third century. So most churches met in people's homes, and people's homes were big enough uh, to accommodate a group of people, and so he was saying that they're hosting a church and they did it before. And they greet you. And then verse 20, all the brethren greet you, greet one greet one another with a holy kiss. And then he said, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's. So he had a someone writing this for him as most of his letters. Paul had an eye problem, it seems like. That's what the Bible talks about. It's thorn in the flesh. And he, he probably had trouble writing. So someone wrote for him. But there were things circulating attributed to him, and so Paul's signing them himself. So he's saying, the salutation is with my own hand. And then he doesn't stop. He's like most preachers. He doesn't know when to stop. So he said, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And again, the King James has the word anathema. Let him be anathema. Anathema means you're cursed. Uh, and then what i mean if you don 't love the lord jesus christ he 's not saying to the church he 's not saying if, if you don 't love the Lord as you ought to you 're cursed he 's not saying but he 's saying those unbelievers who don 't love the lord they 're cursed this is their eternal their their eternal end is to be cursed and and then he counters that with uh, the next thing that he says uh, uh, let him be accursed. And then he says, Oh Lord, come. If you're reading King James, it's Maranatha. Maranatha. O Lord, come. So either you are um, anathema or Maranatha. Either you're accursed or you're looking for the Lord. One or the other. And so he said, O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus Amen. I think it's so interesting. Paul, Paul reamed them out, up, down, sideways, all through this letter for their behavior, for their attitude, for their all the things they were doing, for their selfishness. And in the end, he says, "I love you, I love you." And he did, or he wouldn't care. He wouldn't care what they did if he didn't love them. Um, I, I want to just, I, I want to end with just the, these thoughts that come out of these last. A couple of verses. Uh, I, I started at the beginning. We should have an appreciation for all the people uh, that the Lord's used in our lives. All the people. Um, I think my wife and I are saved because her godly grandmother prayed for us. And uh, I, I think that probably was the foundation of us being saved. There were people who brought the gospel to us, but uh, she she cared about us. She cared about our eternity. She she was worried about, and she should have been. Uh, but but uh, she was worried about us. And I I think she just cared. She's a godly old Methodist woman who loved the Lord and uh, and and wanted Him to be glorified. And uh, I didn't know that. I didn't. I, I didn't. I, I mean, I knew she cared, but I didn't realize. That probably her influence in our lives until after I was saved, and then I recognized it. And you know, when Paul names these people, he has it. Paul is probably the greatest Christian that's ever lived, ever. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's he's done more. He wrote most of the New Testament. He's done more uh, than any other person about establishing the churches, the gospel. But Paul wasn't an island unto himself. There was no pride. He 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 acknowledged all the people in his life. He was grateful for them. He he thanked them. He 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 spoke about them. Again, read Romans chapter sixteen or whatever the last chapter of Romans is. And, and you know and he just lists all these people who influenced his life and ministry and had a part and, and he, he gives and, and he probably privately listed so many more. He just appreciated the people in his life. And, you know, I think that's a key to happiness. If you do that, if you just think, uh, you know, we're different, and don't let those differences irritate you. Just be grateful for the people in your life. And you know what you should do? Tell them. You should tell them. Uh, you, you should tell them. And it, it would encourage them. Uh, uh, tell them, you've helped me. You, you've encouraged me. You, 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 you mean something to me. And that's what we do in funerals. But sometimes it's too late for that person. They're dead. They don't hear it. They need to hear it from us while they're alive. So Paul loved them in spite of how they treated him. In spite of their uh, waywardness, he loved them. And uh, then Paul lived under the authority of God. Uh, he, He was... He would say, "You know these people whom I loved and I established a church, and they came to Christ, and they're not responding properly, but I'm living under the authority of God. God cares about them, and so if if God cares i'm not going to be aggravated i'm going to care and i'm and I'm going to live under the authority of God. You see that through this whole through this whole letter that Paul lived under God's authority, and he's willing to leave the outcome to God. He was doing that for his Private life, and uh, he was willing to leave the outcome to God. What a way to live! I hope we learn from that and can live the same way. Pray with me again, our Father. we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this word, particularly. Uh, thank you for what uh, direction it gives us in our lives. So please help us that we might respond to you in every way and Lord, uh, to the people in our lives be, be have a, a gratitude that honors you, and uh, lifts your name up. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, just before you go, I've been praying about where to go next, and I think we're going to look at the book of of Exodus. Um, Let me me just give you a little hint. You think, Exodus, that's that Old Testament stuff, and that's about all the laws. No, that's Leviticus. But Exodus is a type of our salvation. Exodus is a type of us being delivered from the Curse of Sin and Our Salvation. It's just a great book, but it's also a type of how we live the Christian life, and how we struggle uh, when we're going to get out of Egypt, and we're out of Egypt, but we're not in Canaan yet. We're not in heaven, so it's the it, it's the all it's the already we're saved, but we're not home yet, and that's the book of Exodus. And I think there's some great principles. I don't know that we'll go chapter by chapter, but maybe just pick out incidences that happen as we go through the book, and so. Uh, If you want to start reading it, it might be a benefit. And uh, I'll see you in church. God bless you. You're dismissed.